Well, what is going on, everybody? Welcome to Unrestricted. I'm your host, Ben Lieber. I hope you guys all had a wonderful week. Are you guys ready to get political? Should we do that? Local, national stuff. Here in Minnesota, we've got a big governor's race coming up. We talk a lot of local politics on this episode, and we also do a little bit of national stuff with inflation and the economy and Ukraine and Trump and DeSantis, uh, all of stuff that I'm I'm very curious about, interested in. I'm certainly no expert, uh, but that's why I brought in my guest, who is an expert, Pat Kessler has been in politics his whole life. Uh, He has served at WCCO Radio and TV for 36 years. He started there in 1984. He's widely known around the state and the country as one of the top political experts out there. He's been in the field for over 40 years. He's been recognized by the National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences with a Silver Circle Hall of Fame Award. He's also won three Emmy Awards for a TV franchise that he's created and uh, an all-around just a great guy. Um, He talks politics in a very normal, common-sense fashion. And uh, I'm so excited that I was able to sit down with Pat Kessler. He's He's a great human being. Uh, very insightful on all things politics, and um, and that's what we get into. We talk all the things that are going on in our local politics here in the state of Minnesota, who he thinks has the upper hand in the governor's race as of right now. And then we also talk about the political landscape nationally, you know, where the Republicans are, where the Democrats are, uh, what the talking points are going to be for these midterm elections that are coming up in November, which is many months away. But A lot of people think by the Memorial Day that just happened, most of American voters and election uh, officials think that whatever your stance is by Memorial Day is probably going to be your stance on voting day. So uh, no guarantees, but I think we already kind of see the picture pretty clearly. And Pat is here to help us out with that. So without further ado, uh, we're going to get political here on Unrestricted. Here's Pat Kessler on Unrestricted. Well, how are you, my friend? Fantastic. It's it's really good to see you. I hear you're one of those people that I hear all the time, but we've never sat down face to face. I know. Isn't that something that's uh, my fault? Uh, or maybe it it's is. yours. It is. You never answer my calls. <laughs> right. You stand me up all the time. Honey, it's Lieber again. Oh, God, this guy's <laughs> relentless. <laughs> I'm really happy to be here, though. Yeah, yeah. I'm happy that you're here because, you know, as we were kind of talking offline, you are you are a political expert. You've earned that right for the last forty years in this town and this state, um, and you're fantastic at it. Because, and I'll, I'll you know I'll pump your tires a little bit here. Dang, that's I think nice. whenever you find an expert in anything, people aren't always looking for just the content. I think you do such a fantastic job of of taking really hard real life topics that affect everybody's daily lives. And it's a very consumable and entertaining and fun way in which you always have a smile on your face. And you can hear that when you're on the radio. You can obviously see that when you're on the TV. You are so nice. Thank Um, you. But no, you you do a great job of taking heavy content in an entertaining way, and it's uh, it. A lot of this is because I've been in the business for decades. Mm-hmm. That's decades. a good thing. Yeah, so uh, I've I've uh, lasted. You know, I've survived it. Uh, but over time, I, I really do believe that the longer you're in the business, in politics in particular, to have some institutional memory, 
if you're in for a long time, then you remember stuff, but you see things. And a lot of times you see cycles and the they go away and they come back. They go away and they come back. Uh, this is the kind of cycle that uh, I'm not sure I've ever seen before. Mm-hmm. In what ways? Uh, I, th- I think uh, politics uh, in Minnesota and across the country are much more divisive than they have been in many years. Uh, 20 years ago during the Iraq War, I think things were really high-pitched, really tough. Uh, and I think we kind of got together uh, after that. But now with uh, election controversies, with shootings, with uh, politics in Washington, with the pandemic, all of this has made, I think, uh, all of us pretty anxious. And that's what we're looking at in this election. Yeah. And I would would venture to guess that a lot of it is because of the dissemination of information that we've never had before in anybody's lifetime. And if you mean by that, we have more information. Well, ways to get it. Yeah, and I think you're right. So on on the one hand, there's more information available than we've ever had before. Yeah. And you're right about that. Also, however, more disinformation and bad information and misinformation and wrong information, more than we've ever had before at the same time. Yeah. So uh, part of the job of a journalist then uh, has to be, and all of us, is to figure out how to separate the bad from the good stuff. So that's part of the job. But don't you think that this is where I, man, I agree and disagree with a lot of the the big time mainstream talkers when it comes to disinformation and misinformation mm-hmm. um, and all this fake news that Trump, you know, sort of coined that phrase mm-hmm. years ago when he was running, is that in this day and age where we're on our devices and every mainstream media outlet, along with the fringe outlets, are trying to get information out now. Like, it's got to be on Twitter. It's got to be out now. You know, if you're watching a live event and, and you're, on, you're on Twitter or social media, you're there because you want the content now. You want an opinion that is from right now. If it's, if it's 12 hours later, it's old news. And so now we come to to mainstream politics and everybody's rushing to put out information, whether it could be misinformation or fake news, but you're more motivated by the timing of it than actually getting it right. So it might not be maliciously done in many, many cases. It might just be bad information, but it's all I have right now. That's one of the toughest things that I had to get used to as a reporter because I was schooled, brought up, uh, and trained in the idea that you got to be first. You got to be the first one. And and this is before social media. And you got to be the first person to be first. And then you always had to be right, but you got to be first and you got to be right. With the advent of social media, with Twitter, with Facebook, uh, with Snapchat, with uh, TikTok, with all of it now, to get stuff out there, it's a lot different. We're getting stuff out there and we're not doing the checks and balances to make sure what we're getting out there is accurate. So that was a big adjustment to you don't have to be first. And I think that is what late in my career people were uh, beginning to say. You don't have to be first. Just make sure mm-hmm. what you have is complete. Now, we have all sorts of news events because of the 24-hour news cycle, because of social media, because of cable television. We have all sorts of incidents, uh, particularly, let's, I'm just going to pull one out of the air, of, of a shooting, for example, of a mass shooting, where we don't know the information, but we are taking the information that we have, 
putting it on uh, out there for all the consumers, but we say this is early. This could change. This may not be completely accurate. We're working on that right now. That's what you hear a, a lot, mm-hmm. a lot more right now. Yeah, you know, and I, I sympathize with the public when I think you feel this ever-growing frustration with all sorts of media that it could be disinformation, wrong information, fake news on day one, but then come out to be true on day ten, or vice versa. You know, it's true. It's true today. I think we saw that a lot through COVID. It's true today. We're going to make these precautions. We're going to make these you know adjustments. We're going to make these decisions. Then, because of you know months of testing, months of data, as we learn more, as we learn more, things become real or not real. And then the one side of the aisle will then pick apart each one of those. It became real a weapon. Or not. Yes. And now the general public's like, I have no idea who the hell to believe. And so I feel like there's sometimes a collective shutdown of everything. I just don't want to hear a gosh darn thing because I don't know who to trust. Well, that has become a political strategy for a different kind of people who put stuff out there and try to muddy up the news, muddy up what's out there so that people get confused and frustrated. But that's a really good example where you start out with uh, the the idea that we've got science and this is what science is telling us about uh, a virus that we don't know anything about. And so this is what we know right now. I think they should have said early on, we're learning more. Mm-hmm. And maybe they did, and we didn't amplify that in the media. Uh, we're, and so we're going to do this right now, but in a month, we're going to do this. And a month after that, we're going to do that. The one about the masks, and I remember that very, very uh, vividly, where the CDC came out and said, uh, we're, you don't have to wear masks right now. But the reason, among others, was that we have to save them because we don't have any, mm-hmm. and we have to save them for healthcare workers who are exposed to this, uh, the COVID virus. So, uh, yeah, things change, and again, the role of the media, I think, is to do we put things out there uncritically, uh, or do we put it out there and say we don't know if this is completely true yet, but this is the best information we have. Now, I think Ben, it's really important to separate. When we say disinformation and misinformation, and those are the words that I used, uh, and President Trump and many others now use the word fake news, I believe that's deliberate, you know, that Mm. when you have uh, disinformation and put it out there deliberately, then that's a problem. Knowing better, you know better. That's different from a scientist putting something out because that's what we know right now and we'll come back. But we're all impatient. So we're not going to remember that, and we're going to take, use it as a, uh, take some of that information and use it as a political weapon in, uh, in different uh, situations. So, you know, putting an emoji with the arms up. <laughs> right. Like, eh, eh. So do you buy the notion that the public is, that has the same level of trust to the media as they used to, less, oh, hell maybe no. more? I can say hell. Yeah, you can. Yeah, this is. Oh, man. Any four-letter word you want to drop, you can drop wow, it on this I'm podcast. Yeah, and yeah. Them down feel liberated as we go. Yeah, yeah. as you get me yeah, angrier take, take your, and angrier, I'll take put your it language down. shirt off. Yeah, <laughs> relax so, a little. So, um, okay, so now I've forgotten the question because I was uh, uh, just the trust in the media. Overall. Yeah, well, the, the, more or less same. Well, here's the thing: uh, it's it's much much less, but I think that's again been stoked by politicians. I really do. Uh, but the media have never been way high up there. You've got 
police officers, uh, then there are uh, clergy, doctors and nurses, uh, teachers. Those are way up there in our institutions. And then you've got politicians on the bottom half, mm-hmm. uh, way down toward the bottom. And then, you know, the, the media are, are pretty dang low. Uh, the, they're below toasters, and <laughs> yeah, other kitchen yeah, appliances yeah. that break. Uh, so, no, the media have always been low, but I think they're at uh, some of their lowest points right now. And again, part of it, I think, is fed by the notion, and I believe it's for political purposes, it's fed by the notion to consumers that there is an agenda, that there is confusion over what is the role of a journalist. And there are a couple of different kinds of media now where if you're in cable news, you can express opinions. Mm -hmm. You can have opinion shows, but those are mixed with news programs also. And so you don't know what's news and what's opinion. On local television, where I worked for so many years, and on network television, there are there are many, many cases uh, where w- we cannot express opinions. We try to be as fair as we possibly can to give you all the information and try to be fair. But now creeping into that, I think, is, is viewers and listeners' ideas that we have an agenda. I could care less. I don't care. I've got no agenda. Uh, I, want, I, I get paid the same no matter who is the president. Right. Or the governor. I don't right. care. I don't come in here and get my uh, my orders from an or, from a liberal overlord or a conservative one to tell us this is what you have to do today. But we have many different outlets now that are advocates for a certain permission or for a certain position. And so, yeah, I think people, I think people get confused as to what's real and what's not. And and I and I think that's a shame. How do you how then in your experience do you compartmentalize? personal politics versus your opinion on whether or not the Fed should increase or decrease the interest rate. You know, I feel like that that can live in a kind of sterile bucket. You know, you can look at facts and figures and yes, it might it's going to affect all of us individually at some point in time because there is going to be that trickle down effect of decision making when it comes to finances, but when it comes to personal politics and how do you compartmentalize let's say you know one of the hot button topics right now is abortion mm-hmm. if you're a reporter mm-hmm. and you're a news anchor sure. and you feel very strongly about about this one way or the other and you have to now report let's just call it for right now the facts of what's going on how then do you s- keep your keep from editorializing your inflection your mm-hmm. tone sure, <laughs> sure. any sort of any sort of your own personal thoughts because look at some of the the two biggest people right now in political in the political news space is was it Maddow and and Tucker sure. Carlson? Yeah, right. And those are very much Extremes. editorialized. Yeah, extreme. You know, on like both sides. They're, yeah, they're not just giving. And hey, here's the facts of that's what happened that's their today. jobs. Yeah, I mean yeah. to be on both sides on the far far ends of both of those. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, it's a really good question, and it, it, the answer is probably going to be unsatisfying to you, but I don't care. Uh, for most issues, uh, I don't go in there with a burning desire uh, to get my opinion out there. I feel so strongly about this, I want to cover it. As a matter of fact, if you have any connections or have feelings like that, you should not be covering a story. Hmm. And and so I have, is that something that you tell your your you editor? do you absolutely you say like, oh you yeah, know I, I have a I, connection my wife works uh, over here or or my my daughter is employed by a group that does mm-hmm. this. And so, um, and, and so, yeah, I, I, recre- I 
and I can't remember of one off the top of my head, but yeah, then you recuse yourself from a story. But I, I know I can, I can feel people rolling their eyes saying, come on, you don't have opinions? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I have very strong opinions about things like killing of children, mm-hmm. uh, very strong opinions uh, about it. It just makes me so angry. Uh, or, or about uh, uh, terrorist attacks. I mean, those kinds of things are, are very, very difficult. But we are trained to cover stories, uh, even if you have opinions or thoughts or feelings like that. But most of the people I know uh, are like me, somewhere in the middle, like everybody in Minnesota, and I think like most people in this country. Uh, In all of the newsrooms I've been in, people are not left. People are not right. Uh, they're, They're right in the middle. I mean, we are so buttoned down. We are so conservative, small c, uh, with air quotes, in in the way that uh, we are so boring. I'm so boring. When I read stories about some of the politicians that I covered and they, they do this or that, I go, oh, my God, are you kidding me? My life is so boring. And that's what it was like. And that's what it was like. Like, uh, so I... When I worked in the in the press corps, Capitol Press Corps, uh, the people I know are are all church going parents who are so afraid to not afraid, but just don't do anything that would be controversial. And I always thought in the back of my head, what would the headline be tomorrow if something happened to me? If I get arrested for drunk driving, or if uh, some if I get involved in some altercation, sure, ca- sure. captured on a on a cell phone video, you know. Um, and I've always thought about that, and, and, and I've always tried to be really careful. And I, I've always, my kids would roll their eyes and when they left the house, and I'd say, remember, remember your last name. Uh, if you get in trouble, it's not going to be your name out there. Yeah. It's going to be yeah. son of Pat Kessler. Exactly. The Come on now. So, um, no, I, in general, I, I really have to say that, uh, you know, I've worked with so many people, and People are diligent about not letting their personal opinions enter into anything. Do you go home and I, I, I say proverbially like like scream into a pillow sometimes? Do you have to write things down um, knowing that it'll never catch the air, but just to get that thought, those thoughts out, those opinions out? Because I'm sure you have strong opinions about certain stuff. I mean, yes, you mentioned the, the killing of children and terrorism and stuff like that, but there's got to be some other things that happen in the course of current events, that you're like, oh, I just wish that I could just from a mountaintop. Well, well one of the things that, that has frustrated me again is is the uh, demonization of reporters. Uh, I think uh, because I know so many of them mm-hmm. and know how basically honest and ethical we actually have uh, a code of ethics that's mm-hmm. written down that we have to follow or we're going to be fired. Uh, story. Uh, Jesse Ventura. Yeah. One one of my favorite people to cover. He was really out there, and he was doing stuff that was way out there. Loved covering that guy. Uh, Incredible. And he was a pretty good governor, by the way. So uh, he had this bee in his bonnet where he wasn't going to let any reporters uh, interview him, uh, number one, unless they wore these jackal badges, uh, Mm. these press badges. But he would not allow me to do an interview. Uh, with him, and he sent word down with his press secretary, uh, unless uh, I could prove that I was ethical, that I had a code of ethics. 
And uh, we actually had had one at WCCO and, and at uh, CBS Television where I worked. And so uh, I, I co- went to the copying machine and I, I quickly copied the Ten Commandments and the First Amendment. And uh, I sent it up to him. And, and they didn't think it was funny. I did. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, but, one person laughing. Yeah, so, uh, but I did not get the interview, by the way. Um, so that was not enough to prove that he had ethics. No, I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's 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 about uh, uh, proving it over time. Uh, it's it's not about um, the one time you're on the air, so you are unethical because you said this or did this. It's episodic. Uh, think of it uh, as a soap opera, like Days of Our Lives. It's they're episodes, and mm. over time, you get a much better sense of what is how this person is and who this person is, and whether they're honest, whether I can trust you. And that's the value of being a reporter for a long time. Yeah. You mentioned Jesse Ventura being that. So he was before my time here in Minnesota. Um, so I did not know his run as governor. Obviously, I knew him as, you know, as a, as a WWF, WWE guy. Excellent. Excellent. The body. Um, yeah. Who, who didn't growing up? But I'm, I'm fascinated by the fact that political office, especially as high as governors and as we found out presidents, can can be, let's just say, can hold office and be elected with no political experience. It it doesn't happen. I don't feel like in other fields and other corporations. Very not very often do you find the CEO of General Mills gets elevated to CEO. Hey, I can do this without having any business experience or leadership right. experience. Right. So why are we finding it more and more common in politics? And and why is it that we can find these people that have no idea how the game is played internally that can actually do a decent job like Jesse Ventura did? You know, it's, it's a really, really good question, and, and it's an honest question. But I, I need to point back to where, how our government was formed. And let's just take Minnesota. We have a legislature here. And you don't have to be a lawyer uh, or a business person. Uh, when it was formed 150 years ago, you know, we want farmers, we want, uh, we want people to come in here and work part-time, get in and get out. Mm-hmm. We want real people. And you could have a small business owner. Uh, you could have a, a, a saddle maker. Uh, you could have uh, someone who is a police officer back in the day. So that's our tradition in, in, this, in this state and in this country where you elect somebody who goes back to what they're doing when they're finished with their public service. Over time, it has changed quite a bit. You're 100% right. But do we still have this capability where we can allow someone like Jesse Ventura, who was on the radio for a long time expressing, uh, expressing ideas, he has, you know, he, he had many interesting ideas. And did people back then say to him, stay in your lane, like they say to LeBron James? Mm-hmm. Did they say that to him? I, I don't remember them saying that. And he entered uh, the – he found the sweet spot in politics in which the Republicans were saying one thing, talking nonsense. The Democrats were also just mouthing platitudes and nobody believed them and they were bored with it. Mm -hmm. And Jesse Ventura was saying, you know what? Uh, I believe in in gay marriage, and I believe that we I can get in there and change the transportation system. And you're paying too much for your license tabs. Those kinds of things that that really resonated, I think, with voters. And they were so sick 
of Democrats and Republicans, Jesse Ventura walked in there and threaded the needle. You know, he only got, I'm, I'm going to say, what was it, 35, 36 percent of the vote. Mm. But that's all you needed in a three-way race. Yeah. It was incredible. It was, it was really something. But then once he gets in, it's a lot harder to make some of those ideas come to life. And he was pretty smart. Uh, he, was a, he was a smart guy. I mean, this is a guy who made a career, uh, remember, before he became governor. Uh, he always had something going. He whether it was in wrestling or then it was in as a wrestling commentator, uh, then in the radio, he always had a something going on the side. So uh, he he w- he was really really smart as a as a business person, uh, doing everything that he did. But when he got in there, this is what made him the smartest of all. He hired people to run the government, and he 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 went in there with this motto, and it's my motto for him, not his. But I don't know what I don't know. And so if you, if you come in there with humility, and that's saying something with Jesse Ventura, you come in there with humility and say, I don't know much about health and human services, so I'm going to hire the best possible person mm-hmm. to do it. And so you're that person. Um, road funding, this is a really important issue. And I can't tell you more about that other than uh, I want lower price on my license tabs, so you're going to go in this job. So we had all of these people – and the, the government ran pretty well, pretty well. And there, they were, they there were, were no of, major were glitches. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> You'd kick their ass if they yeah. didn't do what he said. And he had, you know, he had that persona also. But, you know, he, he, uh, he did have so many controversies that were not of, you know, it wasn't that he mismanaged government at all. But then he went off on all these different things that uh, created different kinds of controversies. It's almost as if. That uh, the, almost as if he he wanted those and, and mm. wanted to have that that attention. It was also the first time that I met Donald Trump was with uh, with Jesse Ventura back in the oh no uh, kidding yeah back in the nineties because Donald Trump this very successful business leader in New York real estate guy was fascinated with Jesse Ventura. And so he flies out here. I mean, it looks – you could – if you looked at the video from back then, you would think it was today. It was the video today because you get this big Trump plane landing at the airport. Yeah. Huge. And he's got stretch limo. It was all white, as I recall. And, and he's in there. He was larger than life. And he comes to um, Minnesota, and they have a, a fundraiser, and he's thinking about running for president back then. And he comes to ask Jesse Ventura – for advice. And he holds a press conference and we all got to meet him and he gave a speech and he was very provocative. And 20 years ago, I mean, it was it was shocking some of the things that he was saying, uh, but it was just because he was uh, he was a little naughty, <laughs> you know, not like he is today where it's uh, spouting all sorts of different things. But it was uh, it, it was it was really interesting. So Jesse Ventura was trying to give him tips, and he ultimately decided that year. I'm going to say what would this would have been uh, 99, 2000, right around there. He was thinking about running for president against uh, George Bush, and mm-hmm. so that was one of the things that was happening. He, he ultimately decided not to, but 20 years later, he jumped in the race. And remember Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah, another very good friend of of Jesse's was uh, ran for governor because of Jesse. So you had that. So uh, I, I know we don't have a lot of time. <laughs> Actually, mm-hmm. we have as much time as yeah, you want. Yeah, as much time as you One want. One more story. So uh, Jesse Ventura and Donald Trump spoke frequently. And Trump would pick his brain uh, 
and uh, Jesse liked the uh, notoriety of being associated with Trump. Who wouldn't? So we go to New York, and this is after 9-11, horrible time, just a terrible time. And uh, that's a whole other story for a whole other day. But uh, Jesse goes to New York, and, you know, we can't find him. He's, he's uh, like, hiding from us, hiding from the media, and we're trying to, trying to get him. And so we catch up to him uh, in a hotel in New York after 9-11, and we see him rushing through the lobby out the back. I grab the camera, me and my camera guy. We run out the back through the kitchen into an alley behind the hotel, and there's a stretch limo there. And door opens up, and Jesse gets in, and I look in, and it's Donald Trump. Hmm. And so they were together, you know, getting, uh, getting, giving advice uh, for some time. So back to the original question. I think if you're interested, if you're informed, if you uh, really care about something happening in your community, you should be able to run and, and you develop your expertise. Uh, people are really down on politicians, but I will tell you politicians are some of my very favorite people mm. in the world. Because what is a politician? It's not the, just the president and the senator. It's the people on your block that form a neighborhood watch. Those are politicians. You know, those are people who organize sure. because they care about something. They're the people who run for the library board or the people who then run for the city council. I mean, they're your neighbors. And by the way, the people who become election judges, mm-hmm. those are your neighbors. And those are politicians. And, and I uh, respect and honor those people. Unrestricted is proud to partner with Jack's Cafe, an iconic Minneapolis steakhouse family owned since 1933. That's four generations of Minnesotans who have made their memories at Jack's Cafe. If you're looking for a date night, a family night, happy hour, a place to eat and drink before or after a game, or just a boozy weekend brunch, head on over to Jack's Cafe in Northeast Minneapolis. Need something more private? Well, Jack's has five private dining spaces for groups ranging from 25 people all the way to 250 people, and you have to see their new outdoor dining space. Rain or shine, it's the freshest new outdoor hangout spot. Just make sure to bring your appetite. This original steakhouse has all the essentials. Steaks, chops, ribs, their famous prime rib. But if you're in the mood for fish and seafood, well, Jack's has you covered. Take your pick of fresh lobster right from the live lobster tank. And Jack's has a -a one-of-a-kind trout stream right in the backyard. Yep, you want fresh trout? You can hand-select and net the trout that you want. I guarantee you've never tasted something more fresh. So make your way to Jack's Cafe and check them out at jackscafe.com. That's J-A-X-C-A-F-E.com. An original steakhouse serving steaks, not trends. I think my my personal problem with not the politicians that that maybe you mentioned i'm talking about the the real decision makers the people that are running oh, for the, yeah. the, the higher levels You're of right. office um i personally feel like politician is a little bit of a dirty word and i look at them as they're all they're all bought i don't know i don't know if i can trust in totality that they are speaking with their heart because to get any sort of push in any sort of race, you got to declare: are you are you right or left? Look, we all know that we all want a third party. I think the whole country, and you probably even know the poll numbers. I think the country wants a third party. Um, that third party has no backing right now. Andrew Yang's 
trying to do his best. He's, you know, he's a couple zeros, you know, way behind as far as the funding to really push for a third, a third political party. But I feel like no matter who it is, look, Trump was a Democrat for the longest time. He runs on a Republican ticket on the Republican side. You go into these debates and they have some strong opinions about certain things that are close to their hearts that maybe lead them into one side or the other as far as the spectrum. But then other things are just party lines. Like, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to be a real person. You just, you and I discussed at the start of this podcast that most people, the eighty percent of the country, is in the middle. Exactly. That Venn diagram. That Venn diagram is way, is way bigger in the middle than you think. Yep. But yet we don't have anybody that represents us that says, "Hey, I actually respect some of the things that Republicans stand for, and I actually respect some of the things that the the liberals stand for." We can have it both ways because. God damn, that's what the country wants, is it the both ways? You know, do we do we want to give up all of our money in taxes? No, no. I don't know one person that says, I love being taxed by my state and, and federal government. Not one. I've, I've yet to meet one person that says, I love being taxed, okay? But yet, if you don't like being taxed, then you're a certain political affiliation or the, you got you to gotta think a certain way. No. Why can't you say, can we be efficient more with our taxes? And then monitor how that money is spent, but also care about social issues and care about have, giving some people a safety net. You can have it both ways, can't you? Or not? And that's, that, that is the, the key question that everybody has to ask themselves all the time, ask themselves all the time. Uh, because, yes, in, in order to be elected, you have to, in general, uh, become part of a party structure that will help you become elected. And... And, but you don't necessarily have to agree with everything that the party stands for. However, we are so polarized. If you believe that in, in abortion rights, let's say, uh, then you're not going to be supported by in, any Republicans on, on the left or many Republicans on the right. In Minnesota, there, there was a candidate uh, by the name of Kendall Qualls running for yeah. governor. Uh, on the Republican ticket, and uh, our friend Michelle Tafoya was the co-chair of the mm-hmm. of that. Kendall Qualls is a strong anti-abortion. Michelle Tafoya is pro-choice, and she supports him because of all of the other important things that he stands for. So, can we support? Do you have to support everything that a candidate stands for? You know, do you have to check ten things on the list, or can you say I support seven out of ten? That's one of the issues here. Now, there are more, we're talking about moderate Republicans and moderate Democrats, Mm -hmm. are we not? Or moderate politicians. Yes. So who is that? That's the question. Um, In general, uh, candidates will, or or politicians will support their party, you know, 90, 80, 90, sometimes 95% of the time. But what is the litmus test here? What is it? And, and who – the people that I would call moderate, and I, I know I'm going to hear eye rolls and uh, get emails or whatever, but you've got somebody like Mitt Romney on the Republican side. Uh, and, and years ago, he would have been considered an arch-conservative. He's a moderate-type Republican. Susan Collins of Maine in the Senate. Um, in, I would say that President Biden uh, is a moderate Mm-hmm. But he's been he's been shoeholed into a number of positions by the left of his party. 
Uh, Amy Klobuchar, I would call her a moderate. And so those are the people who are, are, don't agree with the stuff that the hard left, the democratic socialists are, or the hard right, the really extreme uh, hard right. They, they, they don't agree with all of they say. But you've got to have a way to get elected. And then once you're elected, you've got to figure out a way to be a moderate. Yeah. And they're not doing it. People they're aren't not doing it. I, I, I don't think overall we have that sense in this country that there's enough backbone with some of these elected officials that they can say, okay, I'll use this. I'll use the platform of being a Republican or a Democrat. But then once I get in office, then it's going to be my call and I can go either way and I can be that moderate that people want. I think they get stuck in the system and say, well, after a year, you got to start fundraising again now for your next election. Well, you know, it's a really good point because all of this started in earnest about 20 years ago. And, and some of the very first people behind it was the NRA funding people who opposed what they, mm-hmm. what they believed in. Now, somebody, and I'm going to throw out another name, Liz Cheney, is somebody who is probably as conservative, red, hard right as, as there is in, in the uh, Congress. And yet, she can she be held up as an icon of ethics and truth because she, on that one issue, mm-hmm. uh, whether the election was stolen or not, and P.S., uh, spoiler alert, it was not stolen. Uh, so she stands up on that, Adam Kinzinger. But she's going to lose her seat. So it's an uphill battle. You know, maybe she'll win, but I, I believe right now the odds are she's going to lose her seat. So you're going to give up your career based on one issue. So that's the dilemma. That's the conundrum for these people. Yeah. When you look at our local politics, in your estimation, is Walls a moderate? Uh, He is more moderate than the rest of his party, but he's going to be labeled as an, he's going to be labeled as a um, ultra left communist, socialist. Yeah. <laughs> but I would call him, I would, I would call him a more moderate because he's got, there are elements of the Democratic Party in this state. Uh, Ilhan Omar, who used to be in the legislature and, mm-hmm. and uh, is a member of the squad now in Congress. Um, and he, he's, he opposes almost everything uh, in many, many, many of the things that she says and, and the things that she stands for. So I, I would say he is more moderate. I, w- mm-hmm. I wouldn't call him in the middle, but I'd say he's more moderate than any other candidate in the Democratic Party yeah. right now. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm gonna put, and I think he's in trouble, by the way. Yeah, I was going to talk about yeah, that. I was yeah, gonna, that was going to be my next question after I make fun of myself. You use the word oh, commie. You, you use the word commie. I still don't know what a commie is because everybody calls each other from both sides of commie. Come on, I know. I'm like, so... Uh, if if the right's calling someone on the left a communist, I'm like, okay, well, what's that mean? Okay, maybe I can put it together. Yeah, yeah. Then somebody on the left will call somebody on the right a communist. Yeah. Like, are we all communists? So, yeah. <laughs> and I hate commies, so I, I guess know. we all hate each other. Yeah, I'm supposed to hate Come communism on. and everything it yeah, stands so, for, but I don't even know what it means now. So they, they call, uh, for example, they'll call Waltz a communist because uh, they, they say he wants the well, – what it actually means is that the government is going to take over the businesses and run them and then distribute the income. Well, you know, what is Social Security and Medicare? I mean, let's just talk about all sorts of different things. Uh, I do think, um, and and by the way, did you know that uh, Governor Waltz uh, is a high school football coach? Yeah. I know that that was a that was a bit yeah. because you're, you're going to hear it. Yeah, you're going to you're going to hear it. Yes. So uh, he's a he's a soldier, National Guard guy. He's a 
Uh, he is a high school football coach. I mean, he is a moderate guy from farm country in southern Minnesota. You yeah. know, Blue Earth County, Mankato area. I mean, that's who he is. Yeah. So uh, he's more moderate than many of the Democrats. So now you uh, say in he's his in own trouble. party. Well, I think he is. A, yeah, I I think. L- let me rephrase that. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to retract that statement, mm-hmm. officer. But I will. Uh, I I will just say that. I think it's not going to be an easy glide for him. I really don't. Uh, so I think that there are areas where, if he doesn't uh, do, if, if if he doesn't shore up certain areas of, of his uh, record, uh, he could be in trouble. S- because you've got uh, Dr. Scott Jensen uh, running against him, it's going to be. There are so many really, really hot issues out there that I think could. Uh, could hurt Waltz. And another person I think might be in trouble is uh, the Attorney General, Keith Ellison. Mm-hmm. So, though, th- so yeah, d- if you're a Democrat and think, ah, this Jensen and Burke, you know, forget it, forget about it. Uh, no, I, I think this is going to be tough. Yeah. Which would be the first time since Palenti, right, that a Republican has been governor? Yes. So Palenti, uh, 2006, was the last time a Republican in this state has been elected statewide. Yeah. Any, any office. Uh, Attorney General, Secretary of State, um, Auditor, yeah, so any statewide office. So. All right. So then where would you put Jensen? Do you think Jensen's a moderate Republican? Well, this is going to be very interesting uh, to see uh, how he positions himself because he ran far. He ran as fast as he could to the right, mm-hmm. uh, to the hard right. And that isn't the Scott Jensen that I knew in the legislature. Uh, so I've known him for a number of years. And he was a state senator, and he was a guy who reached across the aisle. Uh, He worked on gun legislation, background checks. Uh, He worked with Democrats on health care policy. He was among the most uh, eager elected officials to reach across the aisle to try to get something done. And that isn't the candidate that we saw. And by the way, really nice guy. Just a really nice guy. He's, uh, you're way too young, but there was a television program back in the day, uh, Marcus Welby, MD, uh, it was about the country doctor and yeah. did house calls and solved all your problems. And uh, he, he has this uh, bedside political manner. You know, when he appears uh, on, on television and commercials, he'll, he'll be wearing like a white lab coat with a stethoscope yeah. around yeah. his neck. He's just a nice guy. But during this uh, campaign for governor, he did run to the right. And uh, on the gun thing, he worked on gun legislation with Democrats. And then a couple of weeks ago at the Republican convention where he won the endorsement, he apologized for he said, I was on the wrong side of that issue and I shouldn't have done that. And that's an appeal to Republican voters. Hmm. But when you're running uh, as, as governor, you're not running to be governor of the Republicans. You've got you to have everybody and so I, I do expect him to move more to the center to grab some of these people. We're talking about this huge group of independents in the middle. And he's going to have to do that, uh, particularly after this. And so Waltz does have some issues, too. Yeah. No doubt about it. So if you were playing political strategist for, for both sides, now you mentioned that there are going to be some things that Waltz is going to have to shore up. Some questions, some tough, tough questions he's going to have to answer based on his his decision making process in the last couple of years. But as you mentioned, look, Jensen is going to have some of the same, maybe not as as um, public and out there, 
Um, and there's gonna be more of an education about some of the decisions that he's made when he was he was in office. But if you were a strategist for both sides, how would you pick apart or what vulnerabilities do you see outright that kind of the obvious vulnerabilities that each side would attack? Well, the, it, on the on first, I'll talk about uh, Jensen and then we will get to Waltz. But uh, again, as I say, Jensen ran to the right and he apologized for background mm-hmm. checks while 80 to 90 percent of people support background check, uh, reforming that, uh, including here in Minnesota, and particularly women. And so as a strategist, I say, you got to come up with some idea because you're going to lose suburban women, not just because about uh, abortion and Roe v. Wade, which may come down during the summer, um, uh, which would ban abortions in in many states, not including Minnesota, but you're going to have to come up with some idea on guns because the suburban women that you need to win in order to win the election, they're really concerned about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've just had 19 children, 19 children killed in a school uh, by a madman with a gun and two teachers. So you're going to ha- people are very concerned about it. Another issue uh, is they're concerned about public safety, and that's where Walls is vulnerable, but uh, he's got to come up with some way to keep these women or get these women to vote Republican, and he's going to have to come a little bit more toward the middle. Um, He has a way of just being a guy who likes to explain his positions, and he's not really defensive, so I I, I do like that about him. You're also going to have him, he's probably going to have to moderate his positions on COVID and the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And this is a guy who has questioned uh, the, the effectiveness of vaccinations and whether the government is misleading us on how many people are actually dying. And I think that makes a, a lot of parents and a lot of voters nervous. Like, are you buying into this pandemic stuff that uh, the President Trump made um, made so prominent when, when he was in office and which helped defeat him, by the mm-hmm. way? So those are the a couple of things that I think that um, – that uh, Jensen is going to have to do. Yeah. Well, th- I keep reading about this this angry mom approach, you know, yeah. from from a national level is how how can both sides tap into that? And I think it's going to be harder for the Republicans to do that because the angry mobs moms that the way I understand it, it is abortion and gun control. You know, and I think if if the Democrats are going to sway voters is to go after the angry suburban moms and the angry moms and say, okay, well, we've always been here to protect your kids with more gun control, and we've always been here to protect you with women's rights. Well, that's actually contrary to what most of the Republicans feel and the hard-based Republicans feel. So it sounds like if, if he has a vulnerability and he needs to attack that, it sounds like it's swaying more towards the angry mob right. situation, and that approach is swaying more towards the liberals. And, and there, it, it, it's a very good point, um, and you have to appeal to this group. We can talk about where the votes are, but if, again, in the su- suburbs and uh, suburban metro area counties, that's where you, you've got to get the women there. But this is a place where... Governor Waltz is vulnerable, and uh, in this way, that we had terrible riots and public safety just crazy right now, um, where people are afraid to walk down streets, and in Minneapolis, uh, in St. Paul, and in the inner ring suburbs, there are carjackings and shootings and homicides are up, and that's going to be on Governor Waltz on that campaign, and Mm -hmm. so he is very vulnerable on that. 
Where were you when Minneapolis burned down? Where were you, uh, Mayor Fry, and Fry was reelected? Where were you on abolish the police and defund the police? And why did it take three days to get the National Guard out? I, I, I can see Republicans just hammering this. They're going to hammer this. Do you feel safe? Do you feel like you can walk, go to a play in downtown Minneapolis and walk down the street? Can you go to a restaurant with, uh, without fear of being shot? They're going to ratchet that up. And, and some of it, maybe a lot of it won't be fair. Mm-hmm. But that's where uh, Governor Waltz is going to have to answer uh, some questions about that. Yeah. I've even heard some people say, well, this, the state's more than just about downtown Minneapolis. Absolutely. But I would push back and say, but is it, though? Mm-hmm. Like, we we need downtown Minneapolis. Minneapolis itself, um, I understand that that the governor can't always just put his hand on that and over overstep the bounds of, of Mayor Fry or whoever the mayor is going to be for the next several years um, after this next election cycle. Um, it's it's important to have a vibrant, safe downtown Minneapolis. Couple, you know, three sports teams are there. You know, people come in from out of town to go to the arts district and go see theater shows. And, you know, if if a music act or a comedian doesn't want to come in downtown Minneapolis because they hear through the grapevine that it's not safe and people don't want which to go down. Which is crazy. Which is crazy, right? I worked downtown for decades. Right. Yeah. CCO's right there in the smack yeah. dab at everything. Right. If you go down there as a, as a performer and you see boarded up windows and you're like, what the hell is this? Where am I? I hear all these great things about the state of Minnesota and all this other stuff, and you've got a downtown that half is boarded up? That's bullshit. Yeah, and <laughs> you, know? you know, it's it's absolutely true uh, because it's not true. Minneapolis is not dying. It's not a hellhole as as, uh, as some people are, are portraying it as. So I, but there's no confidence in that right now. Well, it doesn't seem like there's. It's moving the other way. It doesn't seem like it's trending in the right direction. Right. Confidence and reality. I mean, yeah. this is the thing. But there, I want to set aside for one moment the the uh, the economy of downtown Minneapolis. But just to say that this Hennepin County in Minneapolis uh, derives most of the sales taxes and property taxes that run this state that are then distributed. Uh, to counties all around the state, the other 86 counties of, of the state of Minnesota. So this is the economic engine mm-hmm. of Minnesota. And you're right. You know, we have Minnesota Vikings games down there, which is incredible. I mean, I mean, it's a blast at going down there and going to restaurants, uh, going to the theater, all of that. And it's, yes, things have happened, but there are so many different reasons for it. Uh, during the pandemic, when everything was shut down, it was really rough. I mean, downtown there, when I'm working down mm-hmm. there, and you see buildings boarded up and homeless people uh, sleeping uh, in, in the streets, it was really, really tough. It's not that way. But then we have, in the middle of all of this, in the middle of the controversy over the pandemic, and I want to talk about Waltz and the pandemic in a moment, but then you have the controversy of George Floyd's murder, and the city erupts in violence. And uh, there, there were, you know, we're, we're in the middle of it as reporters. And the police, uh, the, the, the protesters are, are justifiably upset about uh, George Floyd's murder. Reporters are out there protesting. Police think they're not appreciated. And it was a toxic mix. It was incredible. 
and it got so far out of hand, got way out of hand, and it took days to control it, and it really changed the reputation. Yeah. So all of those things were, were part of it. Yeah. No, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I'm watching you know, all, of, all of this unfold on TV, and, you know, everybody's saying, you know, get rid of the police, but then here you have all these business owners saying, no, we need help. You know, people are coming to breaking our windows and stealing our stuff. And, and the African-American communities don't want to get rid no. of them. You know, we don't want to get rid of the police. We need police to help us. And so th- this was uh, – the, there was such a disconnect of, yeah. of people. And and it, it, got, it got so strange politically because – uh, the city council members then uh, stood on stage, uh, pumping their fists, and and on front huge uh, banner that said "Defund the police." And then they said, "Oh, we didn't realize that. We didn't mean right. That. Yeah, bad come phrasing. On. Bad phrasing. Oh, come, come. on. Yes. Now we all agree, I think, uh, that all of us will agree that you need mental health services, and perhaps the police don't need to go out on all of these calls about a, a squirrel in the tree or somebody who is having a mental health episode or somebody who is drunk in the backyard. Maybe mm-hmm. the police don't need to do that. No. Maybe you no. can have a, a, a social worker. Yeah. And that's where many communities are going. But it doesn't mean defund the police. No. Now, uh, the police who feel unappreciated, uh, 300 of them have quit in Minneapolis. Yeah. And so should there, should we take a bold move and send in and and we are sending in state patrol to patrol different streets and yeah something's got to be done no I, it it sort of breaks my heart in a, in a little bit of a nostalgic way and and for them when i put myself in their shoes i think we all remember as a kid you know we you get the show and tell days or you get these these people that come in from your community and you you get the firefighter or the police officer i remember in elementary school police officer comes in and i think they're a superhero yeah I really think that this person who's a who's a community member might be, you know, I grew up in a small town when I was in elementary school, a small town in Iowa. You know, this this police officer may be, you know, one of my buddy's dads or a coach on our baseball team or Absolutely, whatever yeah. here. And and but when I see them in uniform, like it's a superhero. And it's something that you kind of aspire to do. Now, I didn't really want to go in law enforcement, but you know what I'm saying? Like I do. You look up to that person. Nowadays, kid there's videos of kids just trying to spit on cops. It's it's you know? just crazy. It's ridiculous what, what's happened. Uh, now, in, in your small town and in mine, uh, the police officer lived there, lived in the community, yeah. and uh, and walked the neighborhood beat and, and would counsel uh, the, the rambunctious teenagers. Um, here, uh, the, it's, it's a whole different atmosphere with, yeah. uh, with police officers. But the job of a police officer is I'm here to help you, you know, when, when – yeah, you come to. I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to help you. But for literally decades in the city of Minneapolis, for example, uh, it has been a different vibe, a different feeling, where uh, there there has, particularly the African American community, uh, where they have said, and now there appears to be some evidence of it, that they have been singled out and profiled, and uh, and and brutalized in different ways. Mm-hmm. So all of these things in modern 2022 America and Minneapolis are, are coming together now. Yeah. I just I just don't think personally that we need to make sweeping changes. You know, I think big differences can be made, and this is not just talking about police force, but you can make big differences of small changes. Now, 
I don't think that you have to go out and defund the police and demonize the police and make all these sweeping changes and turn all these light switches on or off and just be like, that's it. We're If we were here one day, we're going to go the exact opposite the next day. Like Yeah, with nothing. With yeah. nothing. Yeah, you know, right. What's the plan? I get it. I get you know, it. what's the plan? And I feel like that's a lot of the, the angry mob feels like that's what we have to do. If we're going to make change, mm-hmm. well, Dagan, we're going to make the Damn we're, we're going to make the huge change and it's going to make all the difference. Is it though? You're actually going to cause a cascade of other problems. Yeah, and and I I do believe politically and we're talking politics and strategy, uh, that may be the single dumbest political motto that I have heard in years. And so it just conjures up something that I don't think most Democrats wanted or intended. And by the way, uh, it's going to be pinned on Democrats during this election. And, you know, all's fair, I guess. Uh, But that is not accurate because most Democrats did not want to defund the police, just Mm. the most hard left um, Democrats. So um, that that is a strategy that I don't think anybody thought through. Yeah. The other part of this, I think, from a social standpoint, I I think now this may be pushed on the back burner, and I want to get your opinion on this, is – because of the shootings that just recently happened, both you know Buffalo, California, and Texas, and now along with Roe versus Wade, those are the two biggest real-life things, hot button, always been a hot button issue with this political cycle. The, the new, I guess I should say, up until this point, it was a lot of identity politics. A lot of it was this you know, what do we call ourselves? Like the biggest fight we have socially is like, you know, what gender are you and how accepting are we going to be? How much of a role do you think that's going to be locally here in Minnesota? Is this some of this identity politics, some of these, you know, personal social, you know, issues and wars we've been fighting? Well, I think you're absolutely uh, correct that uh, abortion rights and access uh, to women's health care and also guns and how they're used and how we can make them safer. I think those will be two of the very biggest issues. But I also believe that the number one issue for everybody is still going to be the economy. Hmm. And there is a, a, a puzzle with this because unemployment in Minnesota is has never been lower. Uh, more people are working than ever before. Uh, the The employment rate is as high as it has ever been. And yet people feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. They're paying a ton of money for gas. Uh, The people are beginning to be evicted after the pandemic. Those economic issues, I think, will still be, if not number one, way up near the top. Identity politics, I also don't disagree. That is the the code words that will be used uh, to to paint a politician one way or another. Yeah, I think we're going to see this. You're going to hear trans stuff, and it's going to be mixed with religion, um, do I have a right? Uh, the, do I have religious freedom? You're going to hear that, yes, but I don't think it's those, it's going to be as important as those other issues you mentioned. Yeah, the, I guess the biggest thing you mentioned is the is the economy. <laughs> Here's where sometimes, and I know it's not this simple. Okay, I know it's not this simple because there's you pull one lever in this country locally. On a national level, there's a whole other things that that's going to take place. But when it comes to the oil and gas thing, we we are still an exporter of oil and gas to certain countries. Is that correct? Yeah, we're we're energy independent. Ye- yes. Mm-hmm. Would it be so wrong in those situations, especially the time that we're in now, and say like, hey, you know what? 
hey, those other countries that we're kind of supplying and we're helping with, yeah, we're going to kind of help our own first. You know, we've got a big crisis here on our own land and our own home. For now, until things kind of normalize, we're going to keep, we're going to pull back those exports to keep our gas gas prices down and not stress our people out. What's wrong with doing that? So the the, the question is, how soon will it take effect? There's, I, I think we can both agree that um, whatever you do. Even if you did everything you said, we're we're not going to export anything, and and it's it's not enough to, it, it's a lot, but it's not enough to change the price of gas. When is it going to change the price of gas? Is it going to be in a week or mm-hmm. a month, um, or probably not for a year? It, that's that's what it's going to be. Should you build the Keystone Pipeline? Uh, that's been very controversial. It was uh, it was signed. The President Trump um, approved it with an executive order, and then Biden comes in and gets rid of it with an executive order. Even if you put that up, uh, it's going to be two years right. before that that oil is running and it's refined, and you can use it. So, even if President Biden he's going to do it again, uh, release some of the oil reserves, the strategic reserves, Mm -hmm. release some of that. uh, And and I hope I'm saying all of this right, but uh, I haven't thought about it for a few days. Even that would only lower the price of gasoline for a few pennies for a few days. So so what is it? And I think the Democrats are probably not exactly right about this, where they say it's the greed of the oil companies. Maybe it is. I don't know. I, th- I I I would say it's probably not that. It, it's probably that plus uh, the the war in Ukraine, plus the way we are drilling here in this country. So it's it's all of these things together. I cannot believe and predict it here, and you can come back at me in a, in a number of months. I can't believe it's going to be this high for that long. Yeah, because you've got every other economic indicator saying we're doing well. And then you got this. I mean, you got the stock market, and you've got the the gas prices. How long is this going to last? I it, I think it's going to go up again. By the way, in the next few days. You think so? I do. I do. And at that point in time, when does it stop? Yeah. So, and if you're a farmer in northern Minnesota, and you've got to drive to town every day with something and, and pick, I'm, you're spending a lot of money. If you're a traveling salesperson, yeah. you're spending a lot of money. This is like a huge pay cut yeah. for you. Do you think that's the biggest, that would be the most critical thing to bring down the inflation that we have right now is just energy prices? Oh, gosh. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm smart enough, Ben, to know how dumb I am. You know, so I don't know the answer to that question. Yeah. I think it's a combination of a lot of different things. Uh, we've had pent-up demand for, for goods and services because we've been in our houses for the last three years and only now coming out. So we're buying all of the stuff. We're getting out. The supply chain doesn't work. We can't get anything. So uh, is that why they're raising the prices of, or raising the interest rates? Um, yeah, who knows where it goes? But I don't think it's one simple solution. I just don't. Yeah. And what what we have today is not going to be this way in six months. So when you talk about elections and politicians, uh, people will make a decision based on their pocketbooks. But what's it going to be like on in uh, November when we go to vote? I mean, that's the thing. Are gas prices going to be down again? Are people going to feel a little more confident? Mm-hmm. 
Or are we going to have another uh, virus and be in a pandemic? <laughs> like, let's, let's don't say that. We oh, have, oh, I'm not, oh, that's right. I'm not allowed to say that. I have the note of that from people saying that we're going to have it, but I'm not allowed to say it. So I'll just I'll get rid of no, it. No, no, what, no. I'm what, kidding. I'm kidding. No, I got my secret note from my o- overlords to not talk about the pandemic coming. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we um, haven't had one in what over a hundred years. You know, let's hope we don't have another yeah, one. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's just like the, uh, the yeah, we haven't had we have the hundred year storms now. Yeah, the hundred year blizzards, the hundred year floods, like every what eight years. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but no, I think people. I, I think people are good. They feel good. They feel a little uncomfortable, even though things are fine with uh, with their job and and. Um, we're getting out again. Unemployment's down. So, I mean, the, I, I don't get – I've never seen this kind of disconnect in this country before. Well, yeah, because I was going to say everything I read – everything that you just said is not how I think I feel it and read it in the media. You know, everybody's talking about, well, gas prices are up. And for my job, it's it means – I. You know, it's 25% more to operate what I'm Absolutely. doing. Absolutely. And that's and, valid. That's real. And I'm not bringing 25% more in income. Right. And my rent's going up because now people are just pulling that lever. Like, oh, no, we can increase rent. And food prices are going up. You go buy a steak. It's, you know, it's, it's unbelievable. $8 more it's than it used to be. Right? Yeah. Um, and I know that steak is probably a, a tough one. I'm saying just, just beef in general. Eggs, hamburger. Like, uh, hamburger. hamburger. Any of that yeah. stuff is just, is just harder to get. It's going to cost more. But yet you're over here saying it's we got low unemployment rates. You know, we all these other indicators are saying we have a pretty strong economy. What the hell is oh, yeah. going on? Well, I know, and 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 I don't disagree at all because you're exactly right. I'm talking about how uncomfortable people are, um, even though we have a low unemployment rate. And look at the stock market, which is a reflection of uh, company profits. Mm-hmm. And so the rich are getting richer. Uh, mo- most people are not in the stock market. Uh, and but if you want a job, you can go out and get it. Uh, that's that's what's thing. fascinating to yeah. me. That is what's so, so it's fascinating. Th- that's the disconnect. Is you see help wanted signs everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. But then you have this loud group of people saying, "I need a job." Well, d- drive around, mm-hmm. walk around if you yeah. can't afford the gas. Jump on a bike. I bet you you're going to find a hundred jobs that are available that you could probably go out and get. All I hear from a lot of people that run businesses, we don't have a workforce. We can't. We. I just talked to one gentleman the other day, and he works in the construction field. He's like, we're thinking about buying this other, our competitor, and buying him out, not for the book of business, but for his employees. We need his workers. So what? how did this happen, and what are you going to use to make your judgment in November when you pull the lever for a Democrat or Republican or somebody in between? Uh, so... This is what we've never seen before. So you're exactly right. People are, and they should be. This, I, I've always said, this is a pay cut when the when gas prices go up. But they didn't just go up ten cents or no. fifteen cents. They went up a buck, two bucks, three bucks. That's the problem. That's yeah. the problem. But the Republicans blamed Obama. Wasn't his fault. Uh, Democrats blamed Trump. Although the price, the gas prices did go down, but blame Trump for everything. A lot of things were not his fault. Uh, George Bush got blamed. A president can do only so much. You mm. can do something, mm-hmm. but I've never seen jumps in gas prices like this. Yeah. I just haven't ever seen it. Yeah. So you mentioned Trump, and I did want to talk about this. Have you ever seen in in your historical lifetime, or even looking back at politics, 
two back-to-back presidents with as low of an approval rating as those these two guys have had, Trump no. and Biden? No. Has no. it ever happened yeah, like that? It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it, I'm, I'm trying to think back uh, as you're asking me this question uh, because George Bush was uh, low, uh, got pretty low. I remember that H.W. Bush, when he was president during the during the first Iraq War, he was up at ninety percent approval, mm-hmm. and then he dropped to thirty eight percent. But at this point in their terms, President Biden and President Trump, I haven't seen anything quite like this, and it's almost like the police officer and how we feel about police officers now. It used to be that we held our presidents in incredibly high regard because we'd think they were doing the, even if we didn't agree with them. Yeah. Right? right, right. And that ain't happening now. No. It ain't happening. So, no, I haven't seen that. And I think it is a reflection of uh, the poison and toxicity of politics that we see. And they're they're trying to make us all angry. Yeah. And don't buy it. Yeah. I just want to, I want a president, I hope this is not too much to ask. I want a president that can actually speak. You know, well, I I understand what you're saying. I understand. When Trump Trump was up there talking. The word salad that Trump used to throw out all the time. It was ridiculous. Like even even during like a lot of the COVID stuff. It's like, you know, he's talking about ingesting, not really injecting. Injecting bleach. He said, I think he said ingesting bleach. Because yes, in a Petri dish. Bleach does kill the COVID virus, like it kills then, everything, which is why murderers use bleach on everything to, it, to wipe up their mess, it, right? It's, yes, I, you're I, correct, I just, but uh, you're just you're discrediting yourself. So I'm, I'm, I'm like at a horror movie, and, and, and I'm, I've got my eyes covered, and then I, I open it up a little bit because I really want to see this. Yeah. I was fascinated with President Trump. Now, I think people are saying the same things about President Biden oh, it's, because it he's is having trouble. And now, is he— is, is it because of his age? Is it because of all of that? Because he's uh, stumbling and and doesn't – the one thing that I think he really needs to do more of is press conferences. Now, love him or hate him, Trump would come out every day. Yeah. Uh, you know, and he'd throw out this bullshit here, yeah. everywhere. And every day he was out there. And uh, I think it has been – you know, I'm going to say it's eight months since uh, President Biden has had a press conference. Yeah. You know, and every once in a while he'll do something uh, with uh, Marine One with the helicopter going and you hear the can't hear him and all that. So uh, he has trouble, too. And and when he's talking, you know, he says, I ain't joking. I'm not joking. I'm not. You know, he you know, he'll yeah. say something serious. Serious. It's not hyperbole. I'm not joking. So you could have a lot of fun with him if you're Dana Carvey on uh, Saturday Night Live, you know. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Now, if they both run, and I don't believe either one of them is myself, yeah, that means you're going to have uh, President Biden, who would be, what, 82? Yeah. And then you've got President Trump, who's going to be 78 Yeah, something like that, yeah. Uh, maybe 79. So is it time maybe on both parties to have uh, somebody else come in? And by the way, if it's not Biden, uh, who do you suppose the leading candidate would be for the Democrats right now? I'll answer my own question. Uh, 84-year-old Bernie Sanders. No. I think it would be. That's I right keep, now. I keep hearing, and I always butcher his name, Buttigieg. Yeah, Buttigieg. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But uh, I mean, he's got the power in the party, um, Bernie Sanders. So and how I how cannot f- believe he will, but he's very popular. Well, yeah, I was going to say, how funny 
that he's 84 years old or going to be 84 years old and has a strong youth base. It's unbelievable. The kids love Bernie. I know, they do. Because he's love a meme. Bernie. Yeah, he, he turns a... into a meme. <laughs> yeah. you know, whatever he does, he's a meme. He's... It's like, oh, you're, you're, oh, God. you're appealing to yeah. the youth of America because you're just a goofy-looking dude that does goofy things. It's unbelievable. And he's he hasn't changed much in 30 yeah. years. And right. Yeah, he's that guy, and he's a democratic socialist. Yeah, and is that where America is? You know, maybe it is. I, you know, uh, what the heck? Now I'm going to throw out a name, very controversial, because you've got mm. other names in there. Of mm. course, Kamala Harris is uh, somebody. She can't who, speak either, who, though. But she'll be running. My and gosh, I'm talking about who's coming, who's next, <sighs> who's next. I know, I know, I get it, I get it. Um, Amy Klobuchar. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying. I'm just saying. That uh, this is someone uh, who quietly behind the scenes uh, is preparing just in case uh, somebody who could be a candidate again. And if you're looking for more middle of the road candidates, she would be in that school, uh, mm-hmm. you know, middle of the road. Uh, Michael Bennett, a senator from uh, from. Of, of uh, Colorado, the governor of Colorado, Jared Polis, uh, also middle of the road. So who are they going to be? Uh, are they going to be, are we going to go right again back to our corners, the far right and the mm-hmm. far left? Is that what's going to happen here? I, I hope not. Yeah. So, or are you going to go Do you think DeSantis the then gets the nomination? I do. I think, uh, I think DeSantis is very, very strong. And man, that guy is smart. Yeah. Uh, now he he is uh, this. I'm I'm not saying this. I want to be really clear uh, that he is described and his own people describe him as uh, uh, Donald Trump, but much smarter. You know, I mean, really sharp, really smart, yeah, yeah. strategically understands everything, reads all the legislation. Oh, that's good. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's actually doing his yeah, homework. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> so he is, uh, you know, absolutely qualified. Uh, but he is that is going to be a Donnybrook if he's that guy. But I, you know, I, I feel like President Trump uh, is having too much fun just toying with people and raising money. Yeah, um, and it seems like again, I could be wrong. Then running when he puts his name behind somebody lately, that person's poll numbers do yeah. not reflect yeah, a strong and, and, and backing. Sometimes from they President lose. Yeah. And sometimes they lose, and uh, and I think the Republicans in general uh, nationally are very concerned about this. Yeah. So how do you thread that needle? of being supporters of President Trump. Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania mm-hmm. has, has tried to thread that needle a little bit. Uh, you support the ideas of the MAGA nation, but not necessarily President Trump, who is still out there airing his grievances, grievances like it's Festivus. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. what it's like. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think whatever we believe is going to happen today, is not going to happen. We're, it's so far away. Do you and think the Republican Party is scared of Trump, though? I do. I absolutely. Do. I mean, I know that he's not. Absolutely, I know I that do. he's not literally going to beat people up, but he has such an explosive personality, mm-hmm. and he does not give a shit yeah. about what he says right. and who he offends. He he walks around like like he can say and do whatever he wants. And he, I think he carries himself like he is some sort of political god or an influential god that, hey, you burn me and you don't nominate me as the Republican candidate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm going scorched earth on all your asses. Well, yeah, it's, you're right. He has, he has, uh, he says the quiet part out loud. 
and he has been uh, the main contributor uh, to the cruelty in politics and the and the, uh, the the coarsening of American political rhetoric. I mean, it doesn't matter what you say; you can say whatever you want, and and it's part of the appeal to so many people that you could be as misogynistic or you could even be racist. You can be cruel. But that's the point. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just being politically incorrect. That's not what this is about. It's about something completely different. And there are a lot of people out there who believe that they have been overlooked by the politicians, just like they did when Jesse was elected, as we discussed at the very beginning, where the Republicans and the Democrats were saying such bullshit things that mm-hmm. people said, you're full of it. You're full of it. I'm not going to listen to you. And I think Donald Trump encapsulated that for a lot of people. So the the candidates that you sort of mentioned, and let's put um, – we didn't really talk about outside DeSantis who maybe you think could win the Republican deal. But some of the, the key members that are outside of Trump and outside of Biden, which one has the best foreign policy? Because I feel like – Obviously, Ukraine in the midterms is going to be a big a big topic. Where do you stand on that? Are they, you know, add them to NATO? Don't you know? Are you obviously not going to be pro Russia? But do you sympathize at least? Can maybe where the annoyances come from from Putin? Because we kind of started this whole thing, you know. Well, we, we have we have some sort of responsibility in this. It's war. just a really interesting question because uh, although they don't say it out loud, the Republicans understand that Donald Trump was impeached over Ukraine. Uh, He was impeached by the House, acquitted by the Senate, of course, a Republican Senate, Mm -hmm. but uh, because he tried to extract uh, a favor from the Ukraine president, this Ukrainian president uh, tried to extract a favor and was going to withhold weapons because of it. Republicans know this. And you, if you look right now, do they support the war in Ukraine? Do they not? On, if you look at right-wing media, you would think that, no, we don't, we don't need to be in there, and that's a Putin position. Get out. Mm-hmm. And yet you've got Mitch McConnell, the Senate minority leader, traveling to Ukraine with senators to meet with Zelensky to talk about how much they support Ukraine. So on some level— and, and they, they, they know that this is so important. And it gives me some comfort. I know it's really weird to say this. It gives me comfort to know, despite all of the craziness that McConnell uh, and some of the Republicans were throwing out, they deep down understand uh, the honor of America and the ethics of what we need to do for humanity. And that is one of the things that they're doing behind the scenes, even if they don't say it out loud. Yeah. Yeah, I have a tough one as a voter with Ukraine because humanitarian standpoint, I think we see any 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 sort of conflict, you feel bad for the innocent people that are involved. But you probably know the stat better than me, the number. We've spent more in aid and sport, spent more money in Ukraine than we did all of Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. That's that's bananas to me for for a war that we shouldn't have any part of. So is it a proxy war? What are we really fighting then? Uh, are we fighting Russia, which is the, the, the great adversary in the world? Uh, or in, in, when we're in Afghanistan, are we fighting the Taliban? 
Are we fighting Syria? What are we fighting here? Uh, or as as uh, the Rolling Stones used to, said at uh, at the Ultimate Music Festival, why are we fighting and what for? <laughs> <laughs> so it's a good question, um, but it's a it's a proxy war. Now, on the one hand, can we allow a country like Russia, which is dominant in Europe, uh, to take over a country? President Obama let it happen when they invaded Crimea and said he had a red line and then didn't act on that. Uh, so are we fighting for the future here of Europe? Are there going to be uh, future wars like this, proxy wars? Are they going to be on the ground or are they going to be fought by drones? Mm -hmm. For the first time, we're hearing threats of nuclear weapons. This is a nuclear power, mm -hmm. and they haven't taken using nuclear weapons off the table. Do we fight that? We have not seen cyber attacks from Russia uh, perhaps because we have stopped them or because even that. What if they came in and shut down every street light, every semaphore, every stoplight on every highway in America or shut down an electric grid on the yeah. East Coast? I mean, these are the things that we don't know what's happening behind the scenes. But what are we fighting? It's a lot different than in Afghanistan, which uh, is, is – uh, you can debate whether it's an ethical or unethical war, the damage we did uh, over 20 years, beginning with uh, uh, George W. Bush, continuing with Obama. I mean, all of this. Um, it, it's, it's a really good question. But in this case, what is the future we're fighting for and who are we fighting? That's kind of what I think, if you're asking. Yeah. And I think you were. Yeah, I, and I was. Because that's and why we're here. Yes, exactly why we're here. But the problem is that I have with Ukraine is, all right, Ukraine, fix your own damn house before you start asking for help, right? You look at that country. Are you talking about the, the, uh, uh, all of the corruption? And well, what are you the, talking the, about? The, the, the alliances. On the east side, very pro-Russian. On the west side of Ukraine, very pro-Europe. We, we mentioned the Venn diagram before when we were talking about just politics in general. Their whole damn country is one big Venn diagram because they can't even decide for themselves as a country what side they want to be on. All right. So how was the Soviet Union constructed? Right. And they if, were – yes. If you had all <laughs> yeah. of these different yeah. nations in there, and, and it was there since, what, 1920 – but was it that way in 1850 or 1650? And, and so all of these nationalities, and you're a thousand percent right. You've got the Russian speakers who are there, but it doesn't mean they're Russian. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, we have Spanish speakers in Minnesota. It doesn't mean they're from Spain Correct. or yeah. Mexico. Yeah. Uh, they're citizens of Ukraine. And I, I totally get what you're saying. It's just, it, it, again, we use this term. It, it's a muddy situation for me because their country at, at its core self, the fundamental self, can't figure out what it wants to be. And then they say, well, we want to be independent. Great. Then be independent. Do you want to be a part of NATO or not? No, because Putin doesn't want us a part of NATO. If, if Putin says, if you include Ukraine and NATO, it is full on war. Well, okay. To, <laughs> to, 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 gently, to, to gently push back on that. They want to be part of NATO, uh, and NATO didn't want to allow them in because they were worried about it. So Ukraine wants to be part of it. What this has done is pushed Finland, uh, uh, a traditionally independent country, neutral country, and Sweden into it. 
So now they are going mm-hmm. to join it by Putin's measurements. It's worse. But the politics of the region where you've got all of these different breakaway republics after the Soviet Union, and who knew that this was going to happen? Um, who, you know, back in, in when Gorbachev came to Minnesota uh, and, and everybody was so excited and about, I think they called it glasnost back then where the softening of, of uh, relations where we were all going to get along. And, um, and then it breaks up into all of these republics. They, Ukraine has a right to depend to uh, uh, to uh, determine its own independence, and they have, right? Yeah, yeah. And so they're a young country, and we're part of NATO. I mean, uh, you know, it's a tough one. I know. Do you think this is going to be part of the? It'll be part of a presidential election, right? Yes. Maybe not Minnesota. No, not in Minnesota. But I think from a presidential election here in the next few years, I think it'll be. Let's hope that the war in Ukraine is over, and we're oh all God, looking. Oh we're we're looking back in this in yeah. retrospect of saying like, well, look at the decisions we made, and it's gonna it's gonna be you know pro one side and, and against the other side. But to me, as a as a voter, I do want to know where you are politically when it comes to foreign relations. Mm-hmm. You know, who the presidential the pres- race in twenty four? Yeah, 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 the, yeah, the presidential race like that that is going to be important to me. Maybe maybe not so much. I don't know what the landscape of our own. Our own country's economy is going to be where are gas prices, where is unemployment? What I mean that that's still going to be you know where's our safety? Okay. All that stuff so, still going to be paramount. But I still, if we we can't forget about the foreign relations part of it because it's going to come and nip you in the butt when you don't expect. Well, remember it. that President Trump uh, was was reflecting, I think, the wishes of many Americans, where he said we got to get out of Afghanistan. Yeah, but he didn't. Well, he, he but he you know this is the thing that he <laughs> talked about it all the time. Yeah. And he was going to shut down then the military bases in Germany and uh, South Korea and, and do all of this. Many people wonder why we are involved in all of these overseas wars, but it's, it's about our security as much as it is about their security. Yeah. And, uh, but you can see that they're trying to walk a very narrow path. Uh, for particularly, you're seeing the, the narrative develop where Republicans in particular want to support the patriotism the, uh, of Ukraine and, on the other hand, wonder why we're there. Right. And you're going to see them do that. Uh, so. Right. Yeah, we spent a lot of money there. We spent a lot of money there. No. And, and to, think that, to think that we have to be everybody's babysitter kind of drives me crazy. You know, it's for, it's, again, I, I, I think it's for our security, not necessarily for others. You know, it's uh, mostly ours, but this is the world order since World War II. What you don't you don't like World War II? What you don't like the way it all ended? And we all what you don't like world peace? No, I'm just I'm just saying. I get there's there's so much that I feel like could be done with the dollars spent across the globe Mm -hmm. in things that don't seem like there are problems to fix. But every country looks to us and says, hey, United States, can you help us out? And then we have all these things going on here in our own country that we say we don't have money for or we say we don't have the time for. And I'm like, can't there again, can't there be can't there be a happy medium where we can be this overseer of hopefully world peace um, and also take care of our own? So if we are not helping, and this is uh, this is what I think you'll hear for the last seventy-five years, uh, if, if we are not helping, and we're not talking about being the world's policeman, although that is kind of what it is, but are we the world's moral authority? Is that who we're supposed to be? 
ethically, independent, creative? Is that who we're going to be? And if it's not us, who's it going to be? Canada? (laughs) Should we make it Britain? Uh, How about Britain, France, and Germany? I mean, who's going to be the world? What about NATO? Yeah. What well, about that, some of, what about that's some of these, what we're doing. And what about some of these alliances of, okay, okay, we're going to pool all of yeah. our money. But then aren't we f- – now, again, correct me if I'm wrong. Aren't we spending the most money when it comes – like an exorbitant It's, it's a really good question, and I don't know how deeply you want to go down this rabbit hole. But in, you're, you're exactly right. We all are, though, and this is a goal. And Trump made this a, a political thing. But all of the countries, each of the countries in NATO must are, are required or recommended – not required. Recommended <laughs> to spend one to two percent of your gross domestic product on defense, and uh, and help with NATO, and so some of them uh, were uh, up to one and a half percent. Some of them had agreed to do it by 2030. Some of them by 2025. That's where that is, and so are we spending more money in dollars? Yes. Are we spending more as a percentage of our GDP? No. Okay. We're all that's about good, the that's same. That's good to clear up. We're all about the same. Um, but you can, I mean, you're gonna, you can argue the heck out of that. Yeah. Uh, well, I think our, percentages speak for themselves. Yeah. I mean, that, I think that's a great way to look so, at things. So. so I hope I'm right because uh, I just pulled that right out of my you-know-what. <laughs> um, that's just what I remember. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, to, to close this thing out. Um, <laughs> wow, is it st- are we still doing this? Yeah, we're still doing we it. Started a long we're time still ago. doing it. Well, there's just so much to talk about. Like, I know, there, I, there know is, I know. When you talk politics, I think that's why it is so fascinating to me. The older I get, it's so layered. There's so many different things you can talk about, both at your you know, your community level, uh, whatever city you live in. Yeah. You know, we saw that through the pandemic. I think it really matters who your policymakers are in your own little cities. Mm -hmm. Um, That does matter now. It's not just about at the state level or at the national level. From the very bottom to the very top, um, you really start to see how decision makers can affect your individual lives. And that's why I think politics now, I wish I had this interest in politics when I was in seventh grade in Vermilion, South Dakota, because I did not give a crap. Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) I I, I get it. Because it seems so confusing and so overwhelming. I get it. And the older we get, the the more important it gets. And part of the thing about the uh, putting a puzzle together for an election is that older people vote at higher levels, at higher Mm -hmm. percentages than younger people. And so that tends to influence who we elect. Uh, And the people who are seniors that are in their 60s and above vote at the highest po- at the highest level of any group and the people who are 18 to 25 are at the lowest levels so do you want to change it get out and vote yeah put it put a ballot box in the bars yeah oh my god oh my god oh my god oh my god that would be so great uh, but then we're going to talk about election fraud, and we didn't even touch uh, very much on that. Why but, though? You can have the same. You can have the same volunteers at your local oh church that are at the be at a bar and restaurant. I've always wanted to have that um, because in the old days, uh, back in Tammany Hall in the late 1800s, early 1900s, man, you'd, you'd get a bottle, you'd get a get a mug of beer when you <laughs> here you go. <laughs> It'd be so great. I would love it. I'd put it at the churches and the bars. Now on election day. And I, I can't remember, uh, the, all the bars are closed. They used to be closed on Election mm. Day because of that. So think about that, including Minnesota. Yeah, while the, while the, uh, while the uh, polls were open. 
Yeah, I'd be I'd be all for sending more money and resources to so, more more ballot boxes in other places. So one of the things that I go think to where the people been, are, you know, sports teams like the Vikings and the Twins and the Wild. Uh, and, and the Timberwolves uh, and, and the Lynx, all of these teams were doing some really important public services. They're registering people to vote mm-hmm. uh, because young people love that stuff with the, with the sports teams and the examples. Uh, and also testing people and getting them signed up to be tested or vaxxed. Mm-hmm. Really important example that, uh, that our, our leaders, our sports leaders are doing. Yeah. Well, we should look at the highest... Maybe this is a really simplistic way to look at it. In our state, we should look at the highest number of percentage of gatherings on a day-to-day basis, whether it's General Mills, Target, you know, who industry and across the board, who has the most population of people in one gathering space? Mm-hmm. Put a couple of voting boxes there. Mm-hmm. Why not make why make it your church that nobody goes to? Well, I think that is a that, I think that is a oh, that's a good line. I'm going to have to use that. What? Why make it a church where nobody goes? Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> You're going to get me in trouble. I'm going to use that one. <laughs> well, this, uh, this is a really big issue because in many states uh, that they are outlawing those ballot boxes, uh, the collection boxes at different places. And uh, so that is what's happening in Georgia. Many of the states uh, since President Trump declared the election to be rigged and a fraud mm-hmm. and fake – uh, now many states are restricting voting. They're not expanding voting. They're restricting it, including putting the boxes like you're talking about, either voting booths or boxes, but boxes where people could go and drop off their mail-in ballots or drop off their ballots. Yeah. So we're getting less of that, not more. Yeah, well. You know, that's where we are. It's your country. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Well, I guess I've I'll, done everything I can. Yeah, I guess I'll I will look I will look more towards the candidate that's going to make voting an easier task than oh God, than these poor people ben. that sometimes have to stand in ben. line for hours. Ben, look, I'm not standing in line for an hour to I'm go telling vote someplace. You, there, it's going the opposite direction, and yeah. as a matter of fact, that's going to be part of the governor's race in Minnesota, and we're not going to keep going here, but. It's going to be part of the governor's race where uh, the Republicans in particular, like Dr. Scott Jensen, uh, has said that Secretary of State Steve Simon, the current secretary, uh, uh, hope he, uh, I hope he looks in the mirror and see what he looks like in jail stripes, suggesting he should go to jail for, for what, what happened. They want to oh, – because of the pandemic, they had all of the – they tried to make it easier for people to vote with the mail-in ballots. That's part of the – the the, uh, the the fake election, stolen election, rigged election thing. So they he wants an audit of the elections. People are still going back to 2020. Yeah. Now, funny how how all the Republicans who actually got elected, it wasn't a fake election or a right. rigged election. Right. Funny. <laughs> but that's interesting to hear you say you want to uh, make it easier for people to vote because that's not what's happening in this country. And that uh, that in Minnesota, that's a debate, too. And again, it comes back to me. It's common sense. Uh, it's I, know, I, know. I, I guess that there you there's this sanctity of making sure that it's legitimate for sure. I know for sure, but we have years in between these elections to get it right. I, I know, and then we don't. <laughs> then we don't. And we go the other direction. Ah, uh, Pat, you're the best. You are fantastic. Thank you so much. Really good to talk with yeah. you, man. All that we do, I mean, we just kept talking. I know it's unbelievable. I know. Well, you're a pro. There's so many different ways to I go. Know. So yeah. many different ways to go. My only suggestion is, uh, and I just thought of it with the voting, let's have beer uh, 
Yeah. Let, yeah. Serve beer and then we'll, it'll go for two, three. Yeah. Oh, you're saying with, with this podcast? No, right here. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, you it's know what? fantastic. I, I did have, I did sit down with a, a, a food and beverage influencer and she brought in some, some bourbon, some whiskey. And so it's the only time on any podcast I've done on my podcast where we drank while, while we did the interview. It was great. It was great. <laughs> and it got better as it went. It got better as it went, <laughs> you know? So maybe, oh, you know. so good. So part two, when it's you sit so down, good. and we, as we get closer to Novo- November, yeah. oh we'll, let's, let's sit down again. Uh, really you were really good. I, I really enjoyed this. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. And you're the best. We'll talk soon. See ya. Woo! Well, that's going to do it for us here on Unrestricted. Uh, It's amazing how fast that time flew by. Uh, Pat and I got done, and he's like, how long was that? About uh, about 45 minutes to an hour? I'm like, no, we went well over an hour, about an hour and 20 minutes. (laughs) He was like, wow. Uh, I guess time flies when you're having fun. So I really appreciate uh, Pat for his time. And again, another guest that we could have turned it into at least a two-hour podcast and three-hour podcast. There's so much that we just really didn't deep, deep dive into that I think would have been really interesting. Maybe next time I have Pat on, we can pick just one or two topics and just really, really go down the rabbit hole. So I hope you guys enjoyed uh, his conversation and all of his insights and expertise. So thank you so much, Pat. I want to thank you guys as the listeners for always supporting Unrestricted. Please, again, go to my website, benlieber.com. Go to the contact section. You can email me with any thoughts, suggestions, any sort of feedback that you think that would be useful, or even suggestions on various topics, and I'll try to find the very best people to bring that to light. Uh, I do want to thank my sponsors. Thank you so much, Jack's Cafe. If you're looking for a party of two, or you're maybe looking for a party of 200, they have the room and the staff and the food to give you the very best experience, whether it's a date night or it's a banquet or some sort of celebration. Please check out Jack's Cafe. It's J-A-X-C-A-F-E. They're also, much like everybody else, they're hiring the very best people in town. So if you're looking for a job this summer, Check out Jack's Cafe and at jackscafe.com and, uh, and apply. You'll, uh, you'll love it there. And again, remember, they're serving steaks, not trends. Old school steakhouse in historic Northeast Minneapolis. Well, that's going to do it for myself and Dave Yeager at Unrestricted. Thank you, Dave, so much. And until next time, I'll see you then. Bye.